to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hey, everybody, it's Jody Katz, your host of Where Brains Meet Beauty podcast. This week's episode features SkinFix founder and CEO, Amy Gordonier. And if you missed last week's episode, it featured Dana Jackson. She's the founder and CEO of Beneath Your Mask. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I am so excited to be here with Amy Gordonier. She is the founder and CEO of SkinFix. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. Thank you, Jody. I'm thrilled to be here. I love your podcast. Oh, thank you so much. So I want to tell everybody um, about my my first moments of um, meeting you. It was many, many years ago at a Women's Wear Daily conference when we used to have conferences in real life in buildings together and like have lunches together and whatnot. It was nice. Um, and <laughs> it was really nice. Um, it was actually like in a really pretty hotel. It was a beautiful environment. They always make it very pretty. Um, so you were on stage presenting your life story in animation, like literally on an, an, like a cartoon. And I was so struck by it. Can you tell us just like where you were and why you were on that stage at that time? Yeah. Um, Jenny Fine, the you know editor of Women's Wear uh, Beauty Inc., invited Skin Fix to come and present at the Women's Wear Beauty Summit, which was just a huge opportunity for us to tell our story to the industry. And it was funny because we were trying to figure out sort of how we do our Swish video to open up, to tell the story of the brand. And having been in beauty for 20 plus years, I've done my fair share of those kinds of videos. And we thought, you know, is there some a different way that we can tell the story? My, my journey's a little quirky and a little offbeat. I've had many divergent paths and, um, the story of Skin Fix and how I found it is a little quirky. So we decided to do it via illustrated video and really kind of bear all and be really vulnerable. And that's what we did. <laughs> well, it was so striking for me, Amy, because it was really the first time in an environment like that where it's like all about industry and deal making and whatnot, where I saw true vulnerability, the human side of business, uh, the um, how personal life intersects with business life. And um, it wasn't presented in a way of like an an excuse or, um, you know, like a, well, I'm here be, by accident because of this. It was like presented as a really full story that as a human being with many passions, one of them being business, one of them being my family, this is how I got here. And I was um, waiting for so many years to hear that story in that type of environment. And it made such an impression on me. Well, thank you, Jody. That means a lot. Um, it was a big risk, and we were worried that we were going to show Women's Wear the video at the rehearsal, and they were going to tell us that it was a no-go because it was so different. But we did get such a tremendous response, and I think to your point, I think those of us that have been in beauty for a long time at least, and probably everyone that's in beauty was really ready for more, I think, truth and vulnerability and being able to laugh at ourselves a little um, at the mistakes we make along the way and the things that we do that aren't always aspirational. <laughs> right. And, you know, that um, that was a desire of mine for a long time to wash away this, like, hyper-curated, fanciful fantasy um, that is was always really presented to me as a customer when I was growing up. Like, there was only one version of beauty, and it was this um, kind of felt like a little elitist and an um, exclusive and um, I was just waiting for the moment where we would just be like regular people enjoying moisturizer and hairspray, you know? 
I love that. I mean, that's one of the beautiful things that social media has done for us and particularly TikTok. As much as having two teens, it's the bane of my existence. It's also just so raw and so real. Um, and, you know, in, in so many ways represents that new image of beauty and new image of just life, really. So um, let's talk about you and let's go back in time. This is one of my favorite questions that I get to ask guests. Um, if we went back in time to mis- visit your 11-year-old self and someone asked you, what do you want to be when you grow up? Uh, what is your answer? I definitely wanted to be a professional athlete and I played volleyball. So I guess a volleyball player, but I just loved sports. And the idea of being able to do that for a living was incredibly appealing, although very much out of reach in terms of my ability, (laughs) but it was a dream. And is volleyball something that you did through high school and into college? Yeah, I played a little bit in university. I played JV because I wasn't really that good, truth be told. And I'm not that tall. (laughs) I'm only 5'4", so I wasn't really an awesome volleyball player, but I was keen. So I always made the team um, because I think I had the energy and the sort of passion. But I did play a little bit at Princeton. And um, I just love team sports. And uh, to be able to do that for a living would have been amazing, although I know it's a lot of hard work. It looks glamorous. It's a lot of hard work. So if we um, if we went back in time to meet that um, high school or junior high school version of Amy, um, would, would sports or volleyball been a place where your leadership style started to form? Absolutely. Um, I was always, I think I mentioned to you in our pre-interview, I was always voted captain, even though I was probably the worst one on the team. And I think it was because I was always so happy to be there, so happy to get out of class and get on the field that I had a lot of enthusiasm and I had a lot of drive. I certainly did my best and tried my best. And uh, I think that was really a a formative experience for me to, to express myself as a leader in that capacity from an early age. You know, when you're put in a position of captain, it bears a weight of responsibility. You've got to always be kind of bring your best game, so to speak, uh, which I think was a great training for life. So what did captain mean to you, um, other than being a responsibility? Um, how did how did being captain show up as the way you captained? Yeah, I mean, I always had really good coaches who were also really tough and had high expectations. And they had a sort of a, a philosophy of leave the crap at the door, if you know what I mean. Like, leave the bag at the door when you walk in this room and you're in the uniform and you're ready to play put all the garbage that happened all day behind you. This is not where you bring it. Um, might be where you work it all out, <laughs> but it's not where you bring it. And that was hard for me because I, you know, wear my emotions on my on my face and on my sleeve and I like to, to sort of vent and I like to emote. But I had to learn that there was sort of a time and a place for that and that this two-hour period was where I had to show up in a good mood, with a good attitude, with a strong work ethic. And I, you know, that's, I think, very analogous to being a founder, being a colleague in a professional environment is sometimes there's a lot of stuff going on and you got to just show up and you got to just kind of compartmentalize it for that period of time. Uh, Work isn't the place to work that stuff out. That's so interesting you say that because we talk, uh, my team and I talk a lot about, um, you know, our job as an as people who work in an agency in service to our clients, like sometimes we are, we have to be actors. I don't know if that's the right word, but like, totally. you know, even if you're having like a really bad day, like when you come to that meeting, that smile has to be on your face because that's part, it's part of what 
the services, right? The service is like enthusiasm from our perspective anyway. Maybe some other organizations yes. don't have enthusiasm, but, um, and having to compartmentalize and press pause on some feelings to move into other types of work. Um, it's a, it's a skill that takes time to nurture. Yeah, no, I haven't mastered it. I'll be honest. I'm still a work in progress very much on that front. I try really hard to, you know, to embody that, but that's the sort of goal for me. I mean, I have colleagues that do a phenomenal job of it and I, they mentor me in that sense. You know, I watch and I listen and I learn because sometimes I show up and it's just clear all over my face, you know, how I'm feeling. And I'm, as the founder, it's really important, similar to you, as an agency, it's so important that I don't bring that energy into the team because it's tough what we're trying to do. It's highly competitive. It's tough. We have really good days and really bad days. And I have to kind of try to stay neutral. So that's what I'm trying to do is stay sort of neutral to up. I'm not great at it. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I'm not great at it, but it's the, it's the goal. Yeah, I can think back as you're as you're telling me these stories of like sitting on Elisa, our design director's couch in her living room and like literally crying years ago, like, why am I doing this? <laughs> Is this really the right job for me? And um, I think in the early years, it's nice to have people to be honest with, yeah. you know? Um, but I do see how as we grow in scale, like the way I lead is so crucial because people will follow. They they want direction. They crave it. Um, so if I'm leading them down the, the to the couch of tears, it's not always the most productive place. No, absolutely not. And it's uh, you know I wasn't. I don't believe I was sort of born a leader, so to speak, or a CEO. I, I mean, I frankly I don't think anyone would hire me to be a CEO. <laughs> you know, I inherited the role because I founded the company, um, and. I am, you know, better at leading on a sports field than I am in a in a conference room, I think, because I'm just a very emotional person. And and I, you know, I believe in paths and I believe that this is part of my lesson this life is to really learn how to do this because it is so important. Um, I watch, listen, and learn a lot of other people. And my GM is one of those people that really embodies that for me and a couple of my other colleagues. But yeah, it is, it is, I'm learning as I get old. It is so important to be truly you know, learning what leadership really looks like. You just said that you think you're a better leader on the soccer field. Why, why is that different? I think I'm just so physical. You know, I'm one of those people, my best friend who, who also works with me, if I'm in a sort of a mood, she'll text me and say, did you get on your Peloton this morning? Like, did you go for a walk? Because you really need one. So I think I'm just one of those people that needs to work it out physically. And once I do, I'm a much better human. So on the sports field, I'm just naturally doing that. And I think I'm just sort of better equipped to lead people to run <laughs> and move their bodies. Probably should have been like a yoga instructor or something. Well, that's so interesting you're talking about this because um, it's making me think of my challenges with meditation, like the meditation where you're sitting down and quieting your mind and not mm -hmm. moving your body is really hard for me, but like a walking meditation, like is really powerful for me. And I wonder if you've had the same sort of experience. Totally. And I mean, I'm very interested in astrology. So I sort of understand based on my astrological makeup, why that is, you know, I have a lot of air and fire and my body just needs to move. And some people just whatever your belief system, some people just know that they need to move their body in order to calm their mind. And others, 
don't. You know, my daughter's a little Pisces. She can sit forever with her crystals and her candles and meditate, but I can't. So um, I think it, yeah, you got to do whatever works for you. But for me, I know I do have to move my body on the daily or I get really wound. (laughs) Well, you just gave me the most amazing segue because my next question was actually going to be about your chart because you told me in our intake call that you have a lot of Sagittarius in your chart. And I don't know a lot about astrology. So tell me what that means. (laughs) So I have, I'm a Gemini. So that's somebody that's very much in their head, an ideas person, but a little bit airy and Um, And then I have a lot of Sagittarius. I have a Sagittarius moon, which means sort of my emotions are ruled by a fire sign and my rising sign, which is like my personality is ruled by a fire sign. So that combination of air and fire um, means that I am really passionate and that my emotions kind of run hot and cold. Um, But also that I I have to move my body a lot as well. I mean, there's a lot in an astrological chart that can really help understand, help you understand yourself and also your colleagues, your friends, your kids. Um, I find it very fascinating. Um, now I'm curious. I want to, um, I want to learn more about me because I think what I'm hearing from you is that, um, knowing about your signs gives you like, um, the reassurance that what you're feeling and what your body's going through is okay. It's just part of who you are. It's like, uh, um, I guess taking out some of the surprise in life a little bit. Yeah. And it's sometimes it's not okay, but it is who you are. So it's about having compassion. You know, we all have challenges in our chart as well, things that we're meant to work through this life. So sometimes it's like, I know that really sucks about me. And I have a tendency to do that. And it's not awesome, but I can be compassionate about it because I I can think, you know, that is my biggest challenge. So I'm working on it, but it's not awesome. And then on the other hand, you know, there are things like your mercury, which is how you communicate, how you think, also how words, how you like to be communicated to. So in my company, I know everybody's charts. And I know that if I'm talking to a mercury Leo, there's a certain way that I can communicate that they'll respond better to versus somebody with a Mercury Taurus. So, you know, it's it's interesting. I find a lot of value in it. I think whatever works, um, you know, for people. But astrology for me is about compassion. It's truly about compassion for yourself first, understanding that all of these things are what you brought to this life. Some good, some bad, some challenging, some fabulous. And then it helps you understand other people as well. And that they might be coming at life from a totally different perspective so that you don't clash as much. Um, that's, that's sort of the value in it for me. I love it. Okay. I'm going to learn more on my own side and see if my team is game as well. Um, (laughs) Chani Nicholas is an awesome, she has an awesome app called Chani, C-H-A-N-I that is summarizes it all. Oh, good. Okay. So I'm going to check out (laughs) Shani. Um, You know, my team and I were actually talking about um, empathy and like how we all have a lot of empathy. And we think that's one of the reasons Mm -hmm. why we're really good at what we do. And I wonder if the chart would reveal that about us. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there's, astrology is quite complex. So there's so many things going on, but you know, there's certain, certainly planets and aspects that are very intuitive and have a lot of empathy. Things like Cancer and Pisces energy, all the water energy is very empathetic. I think we as women are naturally more empathetic too, or more intuitive at least. Um, But I imagine your charts would reveal a lot. (laughs) So as you're talking about, it's making me think and of... um all the Tinkerbell fairy movies I used to watch with my daughter when she was little. And like, oh. I think all the 
fairies, now that you're saying this, were tied to the signs. <laughs> so I need to go back and study astrology and then um, study Tinkerbell movies. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure there's, a, there's an analogy there for sure. Um, okay, so let's switch gears and talk about um, how long it takes to be an overnight success. You told, <laughs> me, you told me that Craig Dubitsky, who um, this is the founder of Hello and has been on our podcast, he was um, early on, so you'd have to scroll all the way down to find his episode, um, that he gave you some advice around what it's like to become an overnight success. And I think you told me it would take 10 years, according to Craig. Yes. And I almost had a heart attack because I was in year two thinking like, this is just going so fast. This is going to be awesome. And he's so kind. I mean, you know him. He's just the kindest human. It comes from such a good place. But he said to me, Amy, overnight success is a decade. And I sort of thought like, yeah, okay, whatever. Like, you know, not for us. But it is. I mean, it's more than a decade in a lot of cases. I mean, there are brands that people, um, I was talking to someone just yesterday about Supergoop. She was loving it. And it's just arrived at Sephora Canada. And she's like, oh my God, I love this brand. Like, you know, we're so happy to have it in Canada. And I just said, do you know how old it is? Like, do you happen to know how old it is? And she's like, I don't know, two years old. I'm like 17 years old. So it just takes a long time. I mean, there are the Glossiers and the cosmetics that kind of go and the drunk elephants that go straight up, as you know. And then there's the rest of us that um, it takes a long time. In some cases, it takes reinventions. It takes pivots. It might change, take changes in distribution. It takes a whole lot of things, but it typically does not happen in a couple of years. Uh, it takes time. And I think it's good to know that going into so that you don't also overinvest. You know, we came out of the gate really zealous and overinvested thinking that we were going to blow it up really quickly. And then it was just going to kind of keep going. And, um, what we realized is that our concept was really ahead of the market and, no amount of investment while it got us some momentum was going to be sustainable to get that consumer up that learning curve or ready for that kind of product. So it's important. I know it's going to take a while and to pace yourself, you know, financially, emotionally, physically pace yourself. (laughs) I did not, but you should do that. (laughs) So I I love that talking about this idea of success because the way it's defined is so personal. So back at that time, when you're talking to Craig two years into your business, what did success look like for you? What was that marker of like, ta-da, I did it? Success was like, my business is going to be 50 million in net sales in three years. And, you know, L'Oreal's going to buy me for 250 million. I mean, it was just dumb. Like it was just so naive and simplistic. And also, I think, motivated by the wrong things. You know, I think if you're playing for the end game, then you're you're not going to be playing for long. Um, and we had some interest from some strategics really early days in our brand. And I think it just sort of colored our whole perspective of the world in a bad way and got us sort of thinking about the exit, which was, you know, a long way off, if ever. <laughs> so, um, yeah, success to me today is a completely different paradigm than it was in the beginning, thankfully. And what is success today? Success today is just, frankly, I know it's going to sound simplistic, but it's actually enjoying what we're doing, having fun. And you do need to be seeing momentum in your top line revenue in order, I think, to be able to have fun. Because at the end of the day, it's a business. So if the business is performing, then everything just feels better. And it is a really fun industry. And if you get, you know, get some momentum and you start to win with a product or with a retailer or some combination or on, you know, online, uh, and then you can start to really 
play and enjoy and have fun and enjoy your colleagues and enjoy what you're doing. That's to me success. So uh, what happens next is, you know, not important. It's one day at a time, really. I love that thinking because, um, I mean, that's really one of the reasons why I started this podcast because back when I first met you, like everything was about like um, selling my business for a million dollars, a billion dollars, 20 billion, like whatever. It was just like all this noise about money. Mm. And I felt like I didn't know anybody and I didn't know anybody really. Like I had clients that I thought I knew, but like there was so surface. I had friends that, you know, I that I knew there were people that are acquaintances, but I just didn't feel like I I knew anything about the industry beyond this like money talk. Mm. And um, like this show is like free therapy for me because I get to talk with people like you and you hear stories and like, this is the fun. Like, this is why I'm here. Yeah. Um, and I think it's helped ease me into this attitude of um, not worrying as much um, and just like letting an abundance attitude lead me and not even knowing where it's going. Absolutely. That abundance attitude is so important and it's so easy to get into that scarcity fear. I, I get there a lot. <laughs> I have my moments where I'm like, ah, what am I doing? I've spent so much money. Oh my God, what's going to happen next? It's human nature, but to just continue to focus, as you say, Jody, on abundance and what I have right now is enough and what I have right now I'm enjoying. And these are the things that I love about it and focusing on that. And, you know, that's, that is the most important thing because uh, focusing on some kind of a crazy end game is not, is not the recipe to success in sort of my experience or my opinion. So I wonder if someone's listening to us right now and they're like thinking, oh my God, these two are so naive because they're like not worried about like how much <laughs> money the business makes or anything like that. And um, like that, that's not that I don't worry about it. It mean, I mean, it's not that I don't think about it. I think I'm l less worried about it. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Worry is kind of a wasted emotion, really. I mean, do your best work, focus on, you know, hitting goals and hitting targets, but worrying about it isn't really helpful. Right. So, okay. Then let's talk practical tips for somebody who's listening and rolling her eyes at us right now. Um, how, how do you get out of the worry? <laughs> Um, you know, I think it's a lot of really working on focus. So things like exercise, I know it sounds so basic, meditation, you know, not drinking too much. I mean, there are things that produce anxiety in my body that I know are triggers. So I try to avoid those things and I try to lean into the things that help me to release anxiety. And I try not to to worry, really. I mean, I do worry. There are times when I certainly do, but I try to just do the best that I can with what I have at the moment. And no, I think after eight years of doing this and having made tons of mistakes, I know I'm going to make more mistakes. It's going to happen. I know I'm going to have some screw-ups. Um, I know I'm going to waste some money. You know, I don't want to, but I know it's going to happen. That doesn't mean I don't care, but I'm trying not to like manifest it almost, anticipate it and worry about it because then I'm just going to kind of bring more angst. So I think it's just doing those things that you know keep you kind of in a calm, quiet mindset, if that's meditation, if that's sleep, if that's time with your family, exercise, some combination of those things, and just kind of focusing on one thing at a time. You know, it's easy to get overwhelmed and it's easy to get then really fearful. So just try to kind of chip away, chip away and keep keep going and and focus on the things that are going well. Celebrate the things that are going well. 
look for the things that are going well, even when things are all mostly not going well. <laughs> look for that one thing. Hey, you know what? It's not going well, but I truly believe in what we're doing. And I, and I truly believe we're helping people or we're healing skin or we're doing, you know, whatever it is that you're about. And that's important. And I'm going to keep believing in that. So I think that helps. I wonder also if after all these years, um, after uh, making mistakes, or maybe I'll call them opportunities for you, Amy, uh, or challenges. (laughs) Thanks, Um, You're generous. (laughs) (laughs) So after eight years of doing things and not always working the way you wanted it to work, I'll say it that way, um, that your body realizes that even though things didn't go that way, that like it was still fine in the end. Yeah. Did her body start to recognize that like, okay, things happen, bad things happen, and then they they unhappen or like circumstances change and everything's still okay. Do you think your body and your, your cells can learn from that and just kind of go with the flow more? It's so true. Yeah. I'm reading a book right now called How to Do the Work, Dr. Nicole LaPera, I think it is. She's Anyway, she talks a lot about that, about that sort of fight or flight response and how to kind of, it's going to happen because it's natural and sometimes it needs to happen, but to just sort of help to mitigate that over time. And I think you can kind of train yourself not to get so reactive to every twist and turn, because if you're you know, if you can't, it will kill you. I mean, it really will. Like it's, especially if you do what you and I are doing and a lot of the listeners are doing, which is do your own thing and be your own boss and have your own sort of business that you have to keep going and keep paying people. And it's going to be really hard if you can't find a way to mitigate it. I mean, it's going to happen. It still happens. I mean, there's some days, you know, you have a really good day. Like yesterday was a really good day for me. I'm like, I've just totally taking everything in stride. Everything's cool. Like nothing's flapping me. Like I'm just so rock solid and things were coming at me and I was like neutral today. Not so much. You know, this morning I'm like, why can't it just be like yesterday? Why can't I just go back to that zone? I did everything the same. I ate the same. I worked out the same. Sometimes you just can't. So you have to also understand that you're going to get stressed. You're going to be worried. You're going to, but just try to be conscious of it and mitigate it because it's just not helpful. Um, it doesn't, doesn't improve the outcome. That's for sure. If anything, you it just, can make it worse. <laughs> I'm smiling because you're reminding me of like all these emotional hangovers I have, you know, from like when things in the moment are fine with me. And then I realize the next day or the next week that like, oh my God, my body was not feeling like it was fine, even though my head was. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Your body hadn't caught up with the trauma mm-hmm. of whatever was happening. <laughs> Literally. I mean, it, it is a trauma. I mean, obviously there are different levels of trauma, but stress is a trauma to the body for sure. So um, with the time that we have left remaining, I want to talk about this other um, passion of yours, which is um, how how food becomes our health, like what uh. we put into our bodies impacts um, the way that we can move through the world. Um, so I know you said like you're probably not going back to school to become a naturopathic doctor, but um, how, how does this interest um, show up in your life today? Well, I devour podcasts and material from people like Dr. Mark Hyman and Dr. Will Cole. Um, I just, I'm just really passionate about it. And maybe if I went back to school to study it and it was my vocation, I wouldn't be as passionate. You know, sometimes it's better to keep it a hobby or an interest. And I mean, I certainly don't have the, the, the brain power that they do. And my chemistry and biology grades would never have led me in any sort of medical profession. But 
Um, I just love the connectivity and I love the fact that the medical community, you know, Dr. Mark Hyman is a, is an MD and uh, a naturopathic doctor and ND. So, you know, he brings that training and that knowledge and those years of education. And then he brings this new way of thinking and he dives deep into all of the research and the studies. I mean, he brings facts. That's what I love about him. He brings facts, but he shows just direct connectivity between what we eat and our environment and all the things that are going on um, and our health and like direct links to disease. And he also has over the years that he's been practicing as a functional medical practitioner in in addition to an MD, showed how he's healed people from really serious issues using um, different types of food and supplementation and some lifestyle shifts, but mostly food and supplementation. And that is so awesome and thrilling and exciting for me because it's um, obviously we need pharmaceuticals and we need traditional medicine and there are therapies that just, you know, we need to stay healthy and safe, things like vaccines. But it's that marriage of, of medical science and this more sort of functional approach that I think is, is going to win. I think that's the future. It's, you know, you can eat tons and tons of junk or fill your body with glyphosate, which is a, um, you know, a pesticide that's in all kinds of food we eat and is causing all sorts of systemic issues. And then, take a medication to treat that. But what if we kind of never got there to begin with? You know, that, that's kind of cool. That's kind of exciting. And our food supply is sadly really um, full of toxins. So it's going to take some time. It probably won't happen in my lifetime, but hopefully my children's lifetime for us to really untangle it and start over and go back to regenerative, regenerative farming and go back to practices that are going to kind of make our food and water supplies cleaner and 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 they're actually more sustainable practices that are actually going to be able to feed more people in the world too. So I get very passionate about it and things like, you know, I, t- I gave up gluten and dairy and cured my own eczema. Now it flared up again in COVID, probably because of stress and other things, but not as badly as I used to have it. And I definitely think that mitigating dairy and gluten for me helps tremendously. So even as someone that sells topical skin care products for skin issues, if someone can cure or at least seriously mitigate a skin issue with diet, go for it. I mean, that's the dream, right? Acne, uh, eczema, there are a lot of skin issues, all skin issues ultimately that are linked to the gut and often linked to what we're eating. And if you can fix it with food first and have it be gone, that's awesome. You know, sometimes it's chronic or it's autoimmune and it's not that easy. But if you can fix your eczema by eating, removing something from your diet, I, that's the best way to go, in my opinion. Well, Amy, it's so great to see you again and to catch up and learn from you. I'm so grateful that you shared your wisdom with me and our listeners today. Well, thank you, Jody. It was so fun. Nice to see you. And for our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this interview with Amy. Please subscribe to our series on iTunes. And for updates about the show, follow us on Instagram at Where Brains Meet Beauty Podcast. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.